Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters. This is episode 75 of the podcast. So glad you could join us for it because it is Men's Frozen Four week. We are here. The final weekend of the men's college hockey season is upon us. Since we're recording this the day before the actual Frozen Four, we're not going to spend a ton of time on it, but actually look at the college season as a whole and a lot of the news and different happenings that have been happening through this this last portion of the season here as we get set to crown a champion. So didn't want it to go stale early, so we wanted to make sure that there's a lot of evergreen kind of conversation about this college season, which has been truly remarkable in so many different ways. Um, and we do have a great guest today, which I will bring in in just a few minutes. Brad Schlossman uh, is here, so we will talk to him very shortly. But before we do that, I want to talk to you about where to find this podcast. If you are listening to it on your app of choice, that is excellent. You can always do that. You can also check us out on YouTube and on Flow Hockey or the Flow Sports app. You can find us there. Plenty of different ways to interact with the podcast. You can always ask questions as well. We'll have a Q&A at the end of this episode after we talk Frozen Four, after we talk college free agency and all of the different topics at hand, but really excited to, to move into uh, uh, this stage of the season, the close of the season. And to do that, to help me talk about this, I cannot be more pleased to bring back the world champion of Talking Hockey Sense, Brad Schlossman. He is with us today on the podcast and just a tremendous uh, resource for both myself and for you, the fans, because Brad uh, knows what's going on. So, Brad, for the umpteenth time, that's exaggerating because we've only had 75 episodes, but for our, uh, for many, many time recurring guests, welcome back to Talking Hockey Sense, buddy. Thanks, Chris. All right. So, Brad, uh, we are not at the Frozen Four, you or I, uh, but we are following it because that is what we do. This is... Uh, so what we do, I was planning to be in Tampa, but I have some other uh, responsibilities that unfortunately came up, so I won't be there, but we obviously will both be following it very closely, and uh, we're both sad because it's in Tampa, and it looks beautiful, and everybody seems to be having a great time, and they're doing it all without us, but uh, I think it'd be more fun if we were there, quite frankly, but that's just you and me. So, uh, Brad, before, uh, you know, like I said, this, we're recording this the day before the, the, the tournament begins. We'll know our national champion in a few days. But I did want to preview the event a little bit because, um, quite frankly, this is a really exciting Frozen Four. Um, there is a lot of star power. There is uh, some historic matchups in terms of, you know, uh, old rivalries renewed. Um, there is the element of, you know, some of the highest end NHL prospects that are in college hockey today are in this uh in this tournament, um, and still at this point, there are actually 41 total NHL draft picks among the three rosters, and Quinnipiac has three of those players. Um, so, you know, it's it's pretty amazing uh, to see kind of the way this season shook out and the last four teams standing. So as we head in, we've got Boston University versus Minnesota to kick us off, and that's the, the, the matchup that I want to talk about first. Um, and quite frankly, you've got a juggernaut in Minnesota that has – both the mix of experience and skill. You've got a younger team in Boston University that, you know, has a lot of talent still, um, but doesn't have nearly the depth that Minnesota does. They do have a really good goaltender. They have a first-year head coach in Jay Pandolfo that's gotten things going. I, I mean, this thing could go a lot of different ways. What is your take on this as you saw this matchup set up? 
Yeah, I've seen more Minnesota than Boston University this year. And going from that angle of things, uh, you know, if Minnesota plays its best, I, I really like Minnesota. Um, yeah. But Minnesota will go through big ebbs and flows. And if they don't play well, Boston University will win. I, I think a lot of this will be dictated on how Minnesota plays. Because w- when they're on, they're really good. And when they're not, they become a little bit average. So uh, it depends which Minnesota team shows up. Uh, if if the, the best version of them shows up, which uh, did at uh, certain points in the regional, and they were really good when it did, uh, I think they get by. Um, but I, I think, like you said, some of these young teams with a lot of star power, have been too young and have struggled. I think the the fact that Minnesota's back end is old um, veterans, I think that gives them the edge in this one. Yeah, I, I think that that to me is what stands out the most. Um, you know, I think Boston University also banged up a little bit too. There are a couple of guys, Wilmer Skoog's a game time decision. Case McCarthy's out for the year. Um, you know, Nick Zabane might play. Um, so there are, there's, there's certainly that, that hurts your depth. I mean, Skoog is the, is the kind of guy you need against Minnesota who mm-hmm. brings a little bit of that, that size and skill factor. Um, you know, but that's, that's one, it, it's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough matchup. What I think the X factor in this game is, is Drew Camesso. Because Drew Camesso has won his last nine starts for Boston University. He's got a 936 save percentage. He was very inconsistent throughout the year. Chicago Blackhawks draft pick, a guy that was on the Olympic team last year. And it's been a really up and down year, but he has played his best hockey late in the season. And if he gets hot, he could potentially steal them the game. But you look at Minnesota, and I think you mentioned that the back end, let's think we're talking Brock Faber, maybe one of the best overall defensemen in terms of pure defending in the entire country. You've got Ryan Johnson, another excellent defender. Jackson Lacombe has been one of the most productive blue liners over the last, you know, three years. And then you've also got guys like, uh, like, like Mike Kester and, and, and others that can fill in some of those gaps that, you know, and, and continue to produce, but they also have two Hobie Baker finalists up front. They've got Logan Cooley, Matt Nyes. We can debate the, the merits of, of how the Hobie finalists were all. We've, we've talked about that last week. Uh, but, you know, one of those two guys very well could come out of, uh, out of the weekend as the Hobie Baker winner. Um, and uh, obviously Jimmy Snuggerud also on that line. To me, Brad, we've seen a lot of really good lines. You covered a great one in the CBS line with with Nick Schmaltz, Brock Besser, uh, and Drake Kajula that that helped win a national championship for North Dakota. Um, we've seen the you know the CCM line of uh, of yesteryear for Michigan with Kyle Connor, Tyler Mott, and uh, JT Comfer. Um, you know there there have been some really great lines, but this line of Nyes, Cooley, and Snuggerud to me is one of the most perfectly constructed lines. You can have, you have size, you have skill, you have physicality, you have speed. They have everything you need to produce offense. It seems like they have, how do you slow a line like that down if you're Boston University? Well, you got to find ways to play in the offensive zone against them. Uh, You can't let them have too much zone time. Uh, I thought there were stretches over the the regional where, you know, their opponents did play really well against that big line. Uh, One of the big differences in the regionals was that it wasn't just the big line for Minnesota. When those guys weren't going, they have other lines that can score too. And that's really what got Minnesota going, I thought, 
when when they when things weren't going well against Canisius at the start, I thought it was the other lines that played really well and potted some really key goals. So uh, the, obviously that line can single handedly win games. Um, I, I think the one of the differences is in Minnesota is if you shut down that line, which is hard to do, you're not guaranteed to win because they have other lines that can produce. Absolutely. You got Bryce Brodzinski to worry about, Rhett Pitlick, Aaron Huglin. I mean, there are all these different skilled players that can that can beat you a variety of ways. Jackson Nelson had a big productive year, a guy that's probably going to get an NHL contract when his season's over. So, you know, this is this is a team that is really well built, really well constructed. And then you also have Justin Close, who has played very well throughout this entire season and has almost, you know, kind of forgotten the fact that this is a guy that had to take over mid-year last year out of nowhere. And then he won, you know, got him to the Frozen Four, and now they're back. Um, but again, you know, we've seen these little instances for Minnesota throughout the season, and it happened in the Big Ten Championship game. You get one little lull, and all of a sudden, you know, the game flips on them. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly Boston University has the skill to potentially do that. One guy I did want to talk about before we move on from this particular matchup, in addition to the others, is Lane Hudson. I have a story up on him um, and in uh, on flowhockey.tv, which you can read about, you know, basically putting his season into context. Most productive season by a, a freshman defenseman age 19 or younger um, since in in 40 years um yeah. you know you look at all the hobie baker he's he's not a hobie hat trick finalist like if i were voting he would have been in my three um and you know i i think that what what he's done at his age is is something special but then you also look at how he's been used by bu and we've talked about we've talked about his size he's he's listed at 510 163 right now um and it might be a little generous uh and you know, but in his draft year, he was essentially 5'7", 140, um, you know, and he played 39 minutes against Providence in the hockey semifinal, turned around the next day, played 33 minutes, and then played big minutes in both games that they won. I mean, this is a guy that you don't, you don't, like, we expect Brock Faber to do that for, you know, a guy that's like 6'1", can skate, you know, has some size, and, 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 and Lane Hudson is just this dynamic presence. I've personally never seen anybody like him. Um, you know, I think that there have been a lot of Quinn Hughes comparisons. There have been like people have said Sam Gerrard and it's all, you know, size related. I'm just like, he's just Johnny. He's Johnny Goudreau as a defenseman. That's, that's, that's what he looks like to me. He's a, he's an underdeveloped player. He still has a lot of time left. He's got strength to build, but can, can Lane Hudson potentially take over this game and based on what you've seen? And I know you haven't seen him as much as you've seen Minnesota, but based on what you see, I mean, is does he have that potential? Yeah, I mean, I, I've really liked him since. Uh, I mean, you saw him over in Germany last year. Yeah, um, and and he was really really good in that tournament for the U18s, and he he is a, a game breaker. There's no doubt about it. Uh, he is a guy, one of those guys who can take over. Um, so he's one to watch uh, for sure. He can generate from the back end. He's difficult to, you know. Him and Hughes, we'll talk about the Michigan game in a little bit, but both those guys are guys that uh, can uh, get defenses out of alignment and um, out of sorts. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it becomes a matchup nightmare for teams when they're like, okay, well, we're out there against Matt Brown's line. Uh, we've got those three forwards to, to worry about, oh, but there's also this 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 defenseman that's going to sneak in at any point. 
and we're not going to have much of a, a response to him. I mean, the, some of the some of the the space that he finds, the plays that he makes down low. Um, when he was at the national team development program, it just seemed like all Rucker McGordy had to do was go to the net and put his stick down. Lane Hudson was going to put it off of his stick and into the net, and and that's how Rucker, who's a really good goal scorer and plays for Michigan now, uh, would get a lot of his goals. Um, I, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch Lane Hudson on this stage. I think about some of the great performances that we've seen at the Frozen Four over the years. Um, and, you know, he's going to have to have one of those if BU's going to win. He's going to play so much that he's going to have to make a significant impact on the game. Um, but go go read more about all the numbers behind the insanity of his season because it's there. And um, I can't wait to watch him in this setting right here and I, and I still recall the first time I ever saw him was at the under 18 world championship two years ago in Texas and he was playing as an underager and some of the plays he was making then at 16 years old just in, insane so can't wait to see that but let's move on to the next the the second semifinal, which will feature Quinnipiac which again I know I I've, I've practiced pronouncing it so many times and I don't think that's cr- the correct way because <laughs> I've watched the video on YouTube about how to pronounce it so many times. Uh, but Brad, you were on this team from the beginning. They, they only lost four games all year. Yaniv Peretz has been insane. You know, he's been great. He hasn't faced a, a huge number of shots because of the way that they defend, but it's still, he's played very well. You know, they have a, a, a another Hobie top 10 guy in Colin Graff who nobody could have seen the season that he had coming. They've got tremendous uh, defensemen, very veteran team back there. You know, they've got guys like Skylar Brindamore, who's been a four-year player and one of the best defensive forwards in college hockey. Um, shocking. I wonder where he learned that. Maybe the guy that won the Selkie that, you know, raised him. Um, but, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, they're going to be playing a Michigan team that is so skilled and can come at you in waves and, you know, plays in a game in layers in a way that I don't think Quinnipiac has seen but at the same time, I, I look and I'm like, gosh, this I don't feel like this is a great matchup for Michigan because I think of how disciplined Quinnipiac is and how free-flowing Michigan can be. That's exactly the kind of style that Quinnipiac just seizes on um, and, and, and feasts on. And that's what they did uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the regional. You know, they basically mm-hmm. lied in wait. And, and pounced. That's kind of how they, that, I mean, I guess that's the Bobcat way, but that's, that's how it is. So, I mean, I want to leave it to you though. Cause you, from the very, you were on this podcast in the very beginning of the season, you said that team is one of my top teams in the, in the whole country. And sure enough, once mm-hmm. again, you were correct in your analysis. <laughs> I, I think I said they were my top team. At, maybe at the time we recorded, I was going back and forth between Minnesota and Quinnipiac. I ended up going Quinnipiac number one. Um, in, in as much as the, you know, the, the high draft picks and the young uh, future NHL stars make the headlines, a lot of times the older teams win in college hockey. This is a team with seven fifth-year seniors, I believe. That's like a quarter of their roster. They're veteran on D. They, you know, in the ECAC, they can they really hold shots on goal low to opponents. They protect their goaltender fairly well. What you alluded to, the Ohio State game, we saw a team that kind of dictated puck possession on Quinnipiac, 
but they still did a pretty good job keeping the chances to the outside. Peretz did a really good job goaltending, and they transitioned. And that I agree that the Michigan matchup is interesting. Michigan probably wins in shots on goal. They probably have more time with puck possession. But Michigan does give up odd man breaks and chances the other way. And I do think Quinnipiac will wait for their chances. They're not going to be overly aggressive. and They're going to defend well and, you know, wait for Michigan to make mistakes and try to feed off those and I, I do think this is a type of a matchup that, you know, can feed into Quinnipiac's game. These teams played last year, and, and Michigan did win. But um, I, I, I do really like this uh, Bobcats team. Yeah, I, I do too. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, you g- gave a great description of how, how they play. You know, like if you're a fan of international hockey and you've ever watched Finland, you know, just – find a way they don't they never have the more the more talented roster and we talked about there are 41 draft picks in this in this you know on the rosters of these teams only three of those are on quinnipiac mm-hmm. skylar brindamore uh, uh sam lipkin and their backup goaltender you know so it's it's not even you know that it just does not compare um in terms of pedigree but that's not what matters at this stage of the mm-hmm. at this stage of the season, and certainly not in this stage of the develop of, of the development of the Quinnipiac program, which is now in their third, you know, frozen four in the last several years here, and you know, just continues to divide the odds. And I, I mean, you think back to what they used to be, and and people didn't even know who they were. They couldn't even believe they had a Division One team for a long time. And Rand Pecknold's been there from the very beginning, and now here they are again. Uh, but I did want to talk about Michigan because that's where we have, you know, a lot of prospects. You talked about Luke Hughes a little bit already, um, you know, and he's going to have to play, you know, as sure-handed a game as he's played all year. They're going to definitely try to put pressure on him uh, a lot. But also Adam Fantilli, the nation's leading scorer on that group. Uh, I think that, you know, Michigan's success or failure could very well come down to Eric Portillo and net. Um, he has been another one where it's like, you know, sometimes he's he's on and he's unbeatable. or And then there are other times where, you know, he can be their Achilles heel. Um, but, you know, I, as I look at this Michigan team and I watch the way that they had to play the game against Penn State, what a great table setter for this particular matchup. Penn State is a possession juggernaut. They fire a lot of shots at your net. They don't give up the puck real easy. They don't give you a ton. They're going to play physical. They're going to see a lot of similarities in Quinnipiac, although I think Quinnipiac does it better. Um, and so that's going to make things more challenging. But, you know, Michigan just took the, the interim tag off of Brandon Arado as well, the, the head coach that took over under, you know, pretty tense circumstances with um, Mel Pearson getting ousted after last season, leading a team to a frozen four. And sure enough, you know, they're, they're, he's out of a job and for, for a number of reasons, which we've covered on the podcast before. But, you know, this is a team with a, you know, rookie head coach, a very young roster, uh, you know, a goaltender that, that can be a little hit and miss. And then really, uh, they've also had some injuries. Jacob Truscott is is a big one on their back end, um, and he hasn't played in a while. He hasn't played since January. So, you know, there there are certainly some some things there for Michigan. But I mean, all in all, you you know, you've seen them. This is a team that absolutely can go ahead and win not just this game but the whole thing. Yeah, they can score in a hurry. That's that's the big thing about this team. Um, the the mirror Minnesota in a lot of ways. The, the one way they don't is they're not quite as old, uh, especially on the back end. Um, but 
I think they mirror Minnesota in the fact that, you know, Fantilli and some of these other guys are going to get a lot of uh, publicity, yet they have guys like uh, Eric Ciccolini who can pop a goal. Uh, Jackson Hallam's a tremendous skater. Like, yeah. it, it, well, 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 those guys deserve the accolades. Minnesota's top line and Adam Fantilli for sure. Tremendous players. But if you think that's all they have, uh, that's a mistake because these teams can hurt you with several guys. And I, I think that's what stands out to me about both Minnesota and Michigan is it, yes, they have those good top lines, but it really isn't just those one line teams. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and similar to having Lane Hudson for BU, you've got Luke Hughes who can sneak in at any time. Seamus Casey can do the same thing. Ethan Edwards can do the same thing, you know, and that's three guys all drafted by the New Jersey devils coincidentally. Um, and, and, you know, Hallam is a great example of a player that, he might not score, but his speed is going to challenge your defense. It's going to put you under pressure. He's going to be good on the forecheck, and you know, and and he still could potentially score. Rucker McGrory has been probably one of their most consistent and best performers through the entire postseason. He scored three points, two goals, and three points in the Big Ten championship game. He's had points in each of his last seven, I believe. You know, so at the most important stage of the season, he's elevated his game. Mackie Samuskevich had the the game winning goal. This is a team that has too many weapons, and sometimes you just say, okay, well, you know, they're going to have to be careful with the puck, but not too careful because that's not their style, and certainly not Brandon Dorado's style. He's got the green light for these guys. Adam Fantilli, you know, if he can take over a game, watch out because then you're in trouble if you're Quinnipiac and, and certainly anybody else that they would potentially meet in the next round. Um, but, you know, we spent a little more time on the Frozen Four just because I think these are th- four fascinating teams. But I also wanted to talk about the the uh, just kind of the the overall college hockey landscape, because, you know, one thing one of the biggest news of the last week um, was Mike Hastings leaving Minnesota State to go to the University of Wisconsin. I think, you know, the University of Wisconsin is probably one of the six or seven best jobs in the country. You think about, you know, the, the budget they have, the notoriety, the tradition, um, you know, the, the, the recruiting pool that they've been able to pull from. And Mike Hastings goes, he's, this man has never had a losing season as a head coach, built Minnesota state into what, you know, and Brad, do you remember when, when he got hired? Like people are like, this is a dead end. This is like, this might be it. Like if he doesn't get this going, that's it. That's your shot. And then you don't get it. You don't get any more. And he took a program that, you know, was at the time, you know, kind of on the, on the come up just, you know, to some degree, but still had a long way to go. And he turns it into, you know, this national powerhouse for years, um, six consecutive conference championships in the regular season, never been done before in college hockey, never. And, uh, and he did it. So now he's at Wisconsin. That's a huge shakeup. You know, you take a coach away from a program that's been a power and what has happened, the transfer portal has gone bananas. And now Minnesota state is almost looking like they're going to have to build a program, not quite from scratch, but close enough. And so you have been on the transfer portal a ton. Um, and have, have, I mean, we saw four top players, leave Minnesota state. We expect, I I assume a couple of them are going to end up at Wisconsin, but I wanted to start there because I did also want to talk about the transfer portal in general, because there's a lot of interesting names in there and there's been a lot of interesting movement. And this is something that we knew we'd have to contend with, but you know, or not contend with, but just 
track because college hockey has free agency now. And it's kind of, I mean, for us on the outside, it's kind of fun. It's not fun for the coaches. That's for sure. It's not fun for a lot of fan bases, but for us that follow it, it certainly <clears throat> is. So let's start with Minnesota state. The transfer portal taketh right now. It can also mm-hmm. giveth back a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But you know, you've been on this beat for the last couple of years as it's become more of a, a thing. I mean, how can you look at Minnesota State's roster from their last game of the season and see what, like a handful of players still there between guys that signed pro deals and now guys in the transfer portal? Yeah, it's quite an incredible turnover right there for the, for uh, Minnesota State. A huge adjustment without uh, Mike Hastings and Todd Knott, who will follow him to Wisconsin. Uh, Todd Knott's been – he was there even before Hastings was there. Um, yeah. You know, he helped recruit a lot of guys. Uh, he was a really key part. And now all of a sudden, Minnesota State's top nine scorers are all gone. And oh. eight of those nine had eligibility remaining. So, you know, some of them signed pro deals, as you said. Uh, you know, Jake Livingston, um, Akita Hiroshi, and uh, Andre Pavel all signed NHL deals. But uh, that's a lot of turnover. And I f- it feels like every year you just write down Minnesota State uh, preseason poll. You just fill that slot in before you even yeah. start looking at the teams that they're going to win the, the CCHA. <laughs> and now it feels like we're entering a new era. Uh, there, there's a new coaching staff, massive turnover. And there's some other teams that have kind of been nipping at their heels the last few years. You know, they haven't been able to overtake them, but they've been there. So I, I think CCHA is wide open next year. It, it, I mean, it certainly is. It looks that way. Um, sticking with the tra- – so uh, among the names in the transfer portal, you got David Sillier, who was their leading goal scorer. You've got uh, Christian Fitzgerald, who to me was one of the massive revelations late in the season for that team. Looked like he could play a, a top six role on any program in the country. Did everything right. Was a big postseason presence for them. And they're gone. Bennett Smolik probably one of their best remaining defensemen gone, you know? So, and it's hard. And I think, I think if you're a Minnesota state fan, it's okay to feel that level of panic because I think that us that are not even, you know, connected to the program, see that. And we're like, Whoa, this is a, this job that's now open suddenly got a lot more difficult to fit, you know, a lot more difficult. Whoever takes that job doesn't have a plug and play roster. Because not only mm-hmm. that, they Minnesota State also had one of their better recruiting classes of the Hastings era on the way in, you know, with Cade Littler and uh, Pionk and, you know, guys that, that have some cachet in the college hockey world. You know, will they stick to those commitments or will they go elsewhere? Um, you know, those are that it, it's it's tough. It's tough to see. So but that's the way it goes. But uh, some other things about the transfer portal, Michigan State. Uh, is another team that is, has hit the transfer portal and has gotten better going out of it. They lost a few guys, but they're getting better um, thanks to the portal. And, you know, the, the big the big ad there is Isaac Howard, first-round draft pick of the Tampa Bay Lightning, going from Minnesota Duluth to reunite with his NTDP coach, Adam Nightingale, at Michigan State. Huge swing there. Um, but, you know, one thing that you and I have talked about off the air was that, you know, yes, big programs can absolutely benefit from the transfer portal. They can sometimes pull top players off of, of, of smaller teams, and, and, you know, that's not necessarily fair. 
but this is a two-way street. And if you want to remain competitive and if you want to, you know, some teams have said, we're not going to build through the transfer portal and that's fine. All all the power to them, but a lot of uh, many or most teams are using the portal to their advantage. And there are plenty of options for them right now. So, uh, you know, based on what you've seen in the portal, how is that going to continue to shake out? And, and let's talk a little bit more about that two way street. Yeah, for sure. I, I think um, the, the portal is here to stay. You know, as people love yep. it, people hate it, whatever. I, I think if you're a coach, you need to just move, you know, you can complain, but not too much because it is what it is there. And you either are going to embrace it and, uh, you know, find a way to uh, build a team in this new era whether that's through lots of portal guys through a medium amount or little, whatever it is here. And you are going to have to just adjust to this life. And I think the teams that adjust to it and uh, use it, uh, you know, the best are going to help themselves out. A lot of teams did this past year and, you know, some teams, they get a lot of guys back and they don't have to use it. Minnesota, for example, when all those guys decide they're coming back now, all of a sudden they don't go and grab a D man out of the portal. Had Johnson, Lacombe, and Faber all left, they would have grabbed the D-man out of the portal. So a lot of it is depending on your needs in a particular year. I I think you make a good point that it's not a one-way street. There are players at some big-name programs who are really good players that just are not playing a lot. They go to uh, a quote-unquote smaller school, and all of a sudden they thrive. And, you know, you think of a a team like Michigan Tech making the tournament as not large this year. Well, you know, they got Jack Works from Denver. He was a guy who really wasn't playing much for Denver. He goes to Michigan Tech, and he was an outstanding player. That was a great pickup for them uh, and made a huge impact on their season. So I I think when you look at some of these teams, uh, there there is a way to use it and use it to your advantage. I, you know, was looking at certain statistics – the last team to win a national title without a transfer on the roster was 2016 North Dakota. <laughs> you know, it, I don't even know when the next one will be. I mean, it could Probably be a while. Yeah, it could be you a know, long the, time. You know, I, th- I think every team in, in this year's has a transfer on the roster. Now, not all of them have key players. I, I would say 2017 Denver won the title. They had a transfer on the roster, wasn't a key player on that team. Every other team since then, had a very, very important player who was a transfer on their roster. So take that for what it's worth. It, it is important. I think you can um, you know you lose some guys unexpectedly, either to pro signings or the transfer portal, and you're able to add an older player. The last thing I'll say, I think the number of players going into the portal is going to dramatically decrease in two years. We are still dealing with the fifth-year seniors, the COVID year, there are more yeah. players that have college eligibility during this four-year window than ever at any time because everyone has five years instead of four. So uh, one thing to note, you know, I, I looked this up over the weekend, 46% of players that were in the portal were people who only had a COVID year left. Mm. Now, that, that tells you it could drop by almost half. The other The other thing is, some of these fifth-year seniors are taking higher spots in the lineup. 
So you're probably seeing some younger players that aren't getting to play and they're going into the portal. Now, all of a sudden you get rid of the fifth year seniors and some younger players move up faster in the lineup. They probably stick it out. So I really think we could see almost a 50% drop of players going to the portal in two years when this COVID year is gone. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And it's, again, it's here to stay. And, and the one thing I will say is that, you know, I, I know there are a lot of people that, that, that hate the portal, but I think that the, the, the flexibility that this gives players, not everybody that's transferring is running away from competition. Sometimes there's just better opportunities elsewhere. Sometimes there's also, you know, uh, you know, it could be a bad fit. You didn't, they, the school doesn't have your major, like all the, you know, you change majors or anything like that, or suddenly, yeah. you, you know, you're, you're interesting. There are a lot of different reasons to transfer. Um, you know, we've seen, certainly, I, I understand the people being upset that, you know, somebody says they don't want to be part of your favorite team anymore, but at the same time, players deservingly have leverage now. And, and, yeah. and we're seeing that play out in a variety of different ways. Um, you mentioned it before. This is another thing that kind of impacts the transfer portal is that you, you have pro signings. We're going to talk a little bit about college free agency because it has been a very active couple of weeks here in college free agency and with, with the signings. We, you know, we've talked about most of the top guys are off the board. There are several players in the Frozen Four that would potentially garner NHL interest. I think Jackson Nelson from Minnesota is, is one. Matt Brown from Boston University. Uh, Wilmer Skoog from BU. Like There are a number of players that are going to get significant interest um, in terms of you know get wanting to be signed by the NHL. Um, but you know, one we just saw, Cade McWard was an interesting one from uh, Ohio State, signed with Vancouver last night. He was a sophomore. I didn't have him listed on my top free agent board because I did just simply didn't expect him to come out yet, especially with Mason Lorai signing with Boston. Now McWard was probably going to be Ohio State's number one defenseman. There without him, very interesting there. Um, but, you know, any uh, we also saw a significant number of Western Michigan players go to the, the college free agent route. Max Sasson, the uh, – uh, Jason Poland, Ryan McAllister, the entire assassin line, the top line for, for Western Michigan, all gone. Um, and, and also Aiden Fulp, one of their top defensemen. However, what I will say is programs like Western Michigan sending players to the NHL and getting NHL contracts, and they have done it frequently in the last couple of years, probably a good thing in the, for the program in the long term, but it, it's got to hurt in the short term right now. But, you know, I know that's a program that you're very familiar with. I mean, Pat Fershweiler continues to, to churn out pro prospects uh, at, for, for yet another year here. For sure. You know, I, I think uh, they certainly would like to have some of those guys back. Jason Poland is a senior. You probably figured he was going to go. Yep. Um, but, you know, Ryan McAllister and Mac, or and, and Max Sasson, you just did not pencil in leaving after one in two years. Uh, Western Michigan did a great job adjusting to those losses last year. They went in the transfer portal, uh, got Zach Glambos and uh, Carter Berger, ended up being yep. uh, having the best season in program history, uh, in, in NCHC history, I should say. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and, then and, and they just about... picked up a big one. They just picked up a big one too. Sam Colangelo, second round pick of the Anaheim Ducks. So, you know, and that, that, so yeah, that again, now we're seeing the transfer portal works in mysterious ways, people. So see even Western Michigan is making some big moves here. And, and I think when, when you mentioned, you know, that it can have its benefits, you know, when you see 
a, a big power forwards like uh, Max Sasson signing and Austin Ruschoff and, you know, Ty Glover even last year and some of these guys, I'm guessing Sam Colangelo looks at that and says, okay, you know, yeah. here's where I'm going. I'll continue so, to develop. Yeah. For sure. So that, that definitely uh, plays a role, I think. Yeah, for absolutely it does. I mean, one I would say that one of the most important factors that your program has to have or the one of the, the X factors to recruiting the best players, you have to be a pro, a program that produces NHL talent on the regular. You have to prove that you can develop NHL players and the more guys that sign contracts out of your program, the more draft picks that attend your program and continue to develop the less likely it is that teams are trying to pull players out of there as quickly, the more likely parent and, and family advisors are pushing players towards your program. And that's where some of these, some of the programs are saying, Hey, why aren't we getting that elite player? Part of it is that either perception, it might not be fair all the time, but there's a, per, there might be a perception that your program doesn't produce. Now you look at a place like Western Michigan, which was not an NHL factory by any stretch of the imagination. They've had plenty of guys go through that played in the NHL. But it, it, but now you're getting all these guys pushing out contracts, and that is very attractive. And I think that was even attractive for Minnesota State. Once you had guys start signing free agent contracts, and you're like, oh, Mike Hastings knows what he's doing. I'm going to go there. So it's, it's amazing how much coaching matters on that front, and player development helps with recruiting a ton as well. So very important there. Um, Brad, before I let you go, I wanted to talk a little bit about the future of college hockey not just tied to the transfer portal, not just tied uh, to, um, you know, college free agency, but next season, um, I think things there, there are a lot of unknowns at this point about next year. We don't know all of the players that are going to be coming back to their programs. You know, does Adam Fantilli return for a second year? Like all of the Michigan Michigan guys did last year, maybe winning a winning or not winning a national championship plays out that way. We've got more high end talent coming in. BU and Boston College are going to have two of the best recruiting classes in the country, um, which is just outstanding to see, um, you know, especially with BC being having kind of a down year. It's, it seems a little bit more fun when, you know, BU and BC are both cooking at, at about the same level. Um, but, you know, just in terms of, of looking ahead after we've had a very interesting season, I mean, what are maybe some of the things that you're looking at towards next season? Um, you know, even Mike Hastings at Wisconsin. I mean, there's so many different storylines to track next year. What are some of the ones that, that you're going to be keeping a close eye on over the summer here? Yeah, I think you mentioned it to, it, it felt like, uh, you know, Harvard and Northeastern had kind of been almost the Boston highlight programs here. Uh, BU lurking there and BC kind of uh, has not had the sustained success that we saw a decade ago or two. Um, but it's how quickly can BC come back? They obviously have a phenomenal recruiting class. Uh, they're going to make the tournament next year. I have no doubt about it. Uh, exactly how high are they going to be? Are they going to be a good team? Or are they going to be up in the upper echelons? I don't know. I think, um, you know, the NCHC had dominated for so many years on the national scale, both in what they did in non-conference play during the regular season and winning a national championship. Uh, everything in college sports is cyclical, in sports in general, I should say. The Big Ten's having a good year. Can Hockey East push back up to the top, uh, you know, of, of the country? I think that's one of the big storylines, um, 
you know, I, I think we're still waiting to see how some of the rosters play out with, with the way that uh, freshmen impacted college hockey this year. Can Macklin Celebrini win the Hobie as a 17 year old? He will still be 17 when next season ends. You know, I think that could be a, a big storyline to watch because he, he is talented enough to where I think we put him in the conversation before the season starts. Um, you know, it, it does the NCHC make a big come? This is the first year since the realignment NCHC has another Frozen Four team. Do they make a big comeback and, and push back here after a, a year that's down by its standards? So, uh, and, and then, of course, you mentioned it. Is there a new king atop the CCHA? What happens in Atlantic hockey where American International uh, had become the king and, and RIT knocked them off? Is Are we going to see some more uh, teams, you know, get in on the fun in Atlantic hockey here? You know, so it, it seems like a lot's up for grabs next year. We've, we've got um, coming into next season, like, you know, I think one of the big questions I have is, will the Big Ten be even better next season? I think that's going to be one of the, with, with Mike Hastings in there, with the job that Adam Nightingale has done um, with Michigan State, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of opportunity there for the Big Ten to be even better this year after the, the incredible year that they had. Now, Minnesota and Michigan, they will have very different looking rosters next year that might challenge things a little bit, but I just think the depth of that conference will continue. Just like you said, you know, seeing what Macklin Celebrini brings to the table. We were so excited to see Adam Fantilli this year. Can Celebrini be the same thing? So I'm really excited to see what those two guys uh, can potentially do and bring to the table. But I think it's going to be uh, fascinating to watch next season. There's so much we don't know about this season uh, that will, will play out here in these last couple of days. Um, and then also in the off season as players move around and shift and everything else. But before I let you go, I want to get your take who, who wins the Hobie Baker and also what's your, who you got for the frozen four. I think Adam Fantilli wins the Hobie Baker. Um, you know, he's, he has a substantial point lead right now. It's really not that close. Um, so the only other thing that you could look at is goals and he's one away from the national lead in that too. <laughs> <laughs> so you have when you have that many points and you're at the top in goals, I, I think he's just a, a really heavy favorite to win. Uh, he has 21 more points than any of his line mates. It's it's been a ridiculous year for him. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm going to in the way in the season, the way I started it. And that's by uh, predicting Quinnipiac to win the national championship. No reason to change oh. my pick now. I'm sticking with it. All right. Well, he's going wire to wire with QU. Before you go, I'll give mine as well. Fantilli for the Hobie. I I mean, it's it's really it's unless the unless things got a little crazy in the committee meeting, and it may have. <laughs> it's, it's him. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then and then uh, for me, I'm going to go Minnesota over Quinnipiac in a thrilling uh, championship game. Um, I had Minnesota at the beginning of the season, so I'll go wire to wire with the Gophers. So, Brad, I can't thank you enough. Every time you come on, I feel like I learned something. I know the listeners do as well. I uh, hope you enjoy the Frozen Four. We won't enjoy the sun with it, but we will enjoy the <laughs> hockey. So, Brad, thanks again for, for always stopping in and, and helping us out here on Talking Hockey Sense. Anytime. Thanks, Chris. All right. That's Brad Schlossman of the Grand Forks Herald. You can follow him at Schlossman GF on Twitter. 
and read his work at the Grand Forks Herald. He also has his transfer portal, which updates daily um, and is free to read. So definitely check that out. A great resource for college hockey and certainly for myself because I check it pretty much every day. All right. I'm going to turn this the rest of this show over to you. We're going to get through as many questions as we can with the time that we have left. And uh, really excited to get to these questions. There are a variety. It's not just college hockey. We've got a lot of prospect questions. We've got all kinds of stuff. And we're going to start us off with a question that I got last week, but I ran out of time for. Um, and this one comes to us from Michael. And Michael asks, which players would you consider the next wave of premium offensive talent? Pick five names from NHL players, sub 100 games, prospects, draft eligibles. Who would you say has the highest offensive ceiling? Essentially, who are the, the future 100-point players? Thanks. Well, Michael, I mean, it's, it's always tough to predict, but I think in terms of offensive ceiling, it's hard to go anywhere other than Connor Bedard as having the highest offensive ceiling among players coming into the NHL. I think that he is going to be a 100-point scorer. I think he's going to be a 50-60 to 60 goal scorer um, at some point in his career over many different years. As I've watched the CHL playoffs, um, you know, and and that's where, I, where I've seen just he continues to elevate. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch any of his games for the WHL, uh, playoffs playing against Saskatoon and Regina not favored in that series. He's been incredible. I mean, just he's got guys draped on him. He's still scoring goals. Um, to me, that's the guy. I mean, I think he's the the highest potential player up there. Another guy, you're going to see him at the Frozen Four, Logan Cooley. I had him number one on my draft board last year. I still feel validated in that. I mean, obviously, there's a long way to go, but I feel validated that he will be the best offensive performer from that draft class. I think the skill level is immense. The speed is immense. He is going to be the modern NHL player. Um, I think that he has a lot of those characteristics that some of the top American players of, of, of recent times have. Um, and, and so, you know, I just think that there is so much fire in him uh, to be great. And that's why I, I think that he is going to be a substantial contributor uh, at the NHL level going forward. Another guy, you know, I think Maddie Beneers is going to be uh, a continued threat. He's going to be a top line forward for years to come with Seattle. I do think that he'll retain that mantle even when Shane Wright has reached his maturation as a player. I just think Maddie Beneers has a few more tools. He's a very good defensive player as well. So maybe the offensive numbers don't come, but I still think that that's a guy that has a ton of upside to, to be a big scorer at the NHL level. Do I, I don't know if he'll ever hit a hundred points, but he's certainly one of those guys that I think has the potential to do that. Um, after that, I think Matt Vay Michkov, uh, if he does come to the, the U S and uh, if you have not heard a very strange story out of Russia, Matvey Michkov, of course, the top prospect out of Russia for the 2023 NHL draft. Tragically, his father died um, under mysterious circumstances. His body was discovered in a pond near their home in Sochi, and uh, that is under investigation. There's a lot of concern about what that actually means. There's so much speculation out there. But, I mean, just to think, this is a young man that's lost his father at a, at a young age and a, an important year in his life and certainly um, months before, you know, a potentially life-changing moment of the NHL draft. Um, and so our, our, our concern goes out to, to Matt Michkov. But in pure hockey terms, he's one of the smartest hockey players I've ever watched. Uh, he's an offensive dynamo and a genius, I think. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I, I know you asked for five, but the, there's four right there that I think are going to be 
top end premium style players. And we've even got more coming in the next couple of years. And Max Celebrini, Michael Misa, James Hagens, you know, those are the types of guys that we'll be talking about going forward um, as, as some great potential guys. All right. Our next one comes from at agent Smith 212. And this also was from last week, but I wasn't able to get there. And who should the New York Rangers target with their 2023 first, assuming it's between 20 and 25. We know there, there's been a lot of movement um, among the draft prospects in this, this year. And I think that, you know, when you're, when you're a team like New York, you're going to have, you know, some, some good players to choose from in that range. You know, I, we fully expect them to have a strong season and, and maybe even go on a deep playoff run here, but to come up with a good draft pick, I mean, you know, it, it's tough to say, I think that 20 to 25 range based on players that I think will be available there. Like one guy that I think is, is kind of hovering around that range that is most intriguing to me is Gabe Perot, who's had a tremendously productive season at the national team development program with the U S under 18 team. I think he's going to be phenomenal there. And, uh, you know, that's a guy that I really have a lot of time for in that range. And I think that that the Rangers, you know, they brought in Patrick Kane. They have Artemi Panarin. You know, I think that with the players they have, they could use even more of a dynamic element up front. You know, Capo Caco and, and Alexi Lafreniere are skilled, but are they dynamically skilled? Um, they can score and different, you know, but I, I, I think you might want to find more players like that. Perot doesn't necessarily fit their profile. You know, the Rangers often are looking at guys that have a little more size that have, um, you know, th that kind of thing. But that's a player that I think in that range would be very acceptable um, there. So very, very good players. And, and I think that, you know, the Rangers are going to be able to land a, an impact prospect in that range. Um, our next question actually comes via direct message. So you won't see this one pop up on the screen if you're watching, but I did want to get this one from Tommy. And he asked, does Logan Cooley sign with Arizona after the Frozen Four? If he does, will Cole Iserman accelerate to go to Minnesota next season? Uh, great question there from Tommy. I uh, just wanted to uh, quickly uh, go over that one. And we talked a little bit about it last week. Um, Tommy, uh, so I don't want to rehash it. I think that Cooley, there's a chance that he goes back to Minnesota next year. Um, we believe Jimmy Snuggerud will be going back. It, it all comes down to whether the Arizona Coyotes think that they should do that or not. You know, like basically, should we should we go for, um, you know, are we ready to have Logan Cooley? Can we support him? Can we give him the NHL minutes that he's going to need to develop? Those are all the questions they have to ask. And it's also what Cooley has to ask what he wants. I think there's a chance he could sign. He had a tremendous season, very dominant. We just haven't seen as many one and dones lately, but he certainly is a strong candidate to be one of them. And, and on the other, uh, other side of that, you know, I haven't gotten any information that suggests that Cole Eiserman has taken the steps necessary to accelerate, to go play Minnesota next year. Um, as good as he is, and he set the U-17 goal scoring record at the National Team Development Program this year, as good as he is, I think there's a lot more of his game that he needs to continue to work on. I think his skating continues to, needs to improve. He needs to get stronger. Um, he could go into college next year and certainly be a competitive player. Uh, I think he could be, uh, uh, you know, he's an elite, elite, elite goal scorer, tremendous goal scoring sense, great shot. Um, but, you know, I think that there are some things, steps that could he could take. Now we have seen guys from the national team development program accelerate plenty of times before Noah Hannafin and Zach Wierenski both accelerated at 17 and certainly Iserman being on a similar track and probably feeling like he's at a similar level to, to Macklin Celebrini. 
may want to go that route as well. Celebrini is ex accelerating to go to Boston University next year. Either way, I think that Cole Eisman has a chance to have a historic career at the National Team Development Program, break all sorts of records. And whether he goes this year or next year, Minnesota is going to have an exceptional player. All right, our next one comes from Daniel. And this is another NHL draft-related question. And this is about Nate Danielson. He says, do you see Nate Danielson's offensive game translating well to the NHL? And what do you see potentially his ceiling as at this point? So Nate Danielson from the Brandon Wheat Kings is a player on the rise in, in terms of his draft stock. He is a, uh, uh, you know, I talk a lot with Corey Prom and I know he's been very high in Danielson, had him really high in his rankings at the Athletic. Um, I've certainly heard a lot of chatter from scouts about, you know, this is a guy that they're keeping an eye on in terms of his value, has a lot of that. What I think Nate Danielson's true value is offensively is he, he plays a fairly uh, simple game. And I mean that in a good way. Like he, he doesn't overextend himself for offense. He just, you know, he, he uses his body to his advantage. He's got a very strong hockey sense. He moves pucks. Well, he battles for, for pucks, um, you know, digs pucks out of, out of trouble. Um, so, you know, I think that that does translate to the NHL because they're most times the highlight reel plays aren't there. You'd love to have guys that can dangle and do all the different things. But I, I think more times than not, it's a hardworking play that gets you a goal. And I think that's what Nate Danielson does, which is why he has a chance to go in the top 10 of this draft this year. Um, to me, I think his ultimate ceiling is, is a number two center, a guy that, you know, produces uh, in, in more of a secondary way and, you know, can play in the matchups. Um, so I think he's probably a middle six center with a chance to top out as a number two. All right. Our next one comes from Luke. And this is another draft-related question. Luke asks, for teams that end up picking five to eight at the draft this summer, what are your thoughts on the quality of player available compared to other draft classes? And also, have you watched this season have any thoughts on Arizona second-rounder Artem Duda? Uh, just to get to the second question first, I haven't watched a ton of Duda uh, this season. I liked him a lot in his draft year. I liked him the year before. Um, I think that he's you know, certainly a, a talented, skilled player. Um, just haven't watched enough to to give you a, a firm comment uh, this season in terms of where he's at. Um, I plan to catch up on some of that later on. Uh, but uh, in terms of five to eight of this particular draft class, I think that's the range where you still are going to mine above average players from previous draft years. Um, I think that the top eight and maybe even the top 10 or so, uh, top 12, has a lot of higher-end guys that, that I like. I think after that, it gets closer to more of an average draft in terms of what we've seen, although I think there, there are certainly some teams out there that believe some of the players that you're going to get in that, that later range uh, still have tremendous value above previous draft years. But I think five to eight is a great place to be. You think about guys like that should be available in that range, like Will Smith or um, you know uh, Ryan Leonard or maybe Zach Benson. You know There are players that are going to be there that could potentially be major impact prospects. So, uh, so yeah, so I think that if you're picking five to eight, you're still landing a guy that's going to be towards the top of your prospect pool, if not at the very top. Next one comes from Matt, and this one is uh, a little funny. Devin Levi, is he this year's Vesna winner? Matt, I know that was tongue-in-cheek, but Devin Levi, two starts into his NHL career, certainly looks very, very good. Um, on flowhockey.tv, I have a piece up that pretty much details why Devin Levi is one of the greatest college goalies of all time. You'll definitely have to check that out. Um, he is an exceptional player. Uh, the numbers that he put up in college were incredible. 
you know, he, he's not the typical size of a goaltender. He's about six, six foot, six, one, um, you know, and a lot of teams want those guys six, two, you know, he came up from a, from a junior a league and really the, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot there that, you know, you kind of have to unpack or their biases against players with the leagues that they play in. Cause he went in the seventh round of Florida. Um, uh, but you look at what he's done in the NHL and everything he was able to accomplish in college, he's been accomplishing at the NHL level. And I'll say this, the other thing about, about Devin Levi is he is just a tremendous competitor. He, he's, he's, he's dialed in mentally. He fights for every save. He is never out of it. Um, he can make the big save, but he can also make the, the tough saves look easy. I think he has all of the tools to potentially be an award-winning goaltender at the NHL level. Um, it's not a lock that he's going to be among the elite goalies at the NHL level, but what he's produced to this point as a goaltender certainly gives me reason to believe he's a long-term number one, the goalie of the future for Buffalo, and maybe the answer, the long-term answer in net for that team. Um, and uh, I really think that that's, that's special, um, and I look forward to, to seeing him progress in the NHL. All right. Next one comes from Tommy, and this is going to give me a chance to talk about the future of American hockey. And he says, not really a question, more just to point out that Will Moore is choosing USA instead of Canada. So Will Moore, a tremendous player from the 2007 birth year, and it hurts to say it out loud. These players all becoming prospects the year after I graduated college. Don't like that, but that's what we got to deal with. Will Moore, dual citizen, uh, was named to the national team development programs under 17 roster. He will be part of it. He is one of probably the top four forwards in a very crowded and loaded 2007 birth year at forward. The guys to know from that group, LJ Mooney, Cullen Potter, certainly will Moore, among others. And I think it's going to be really exciting to see. He's a, he's a big kid. He's got a lot, of, a lot to offer. Um, and we're going to hear a lot more about those guys coming down the road here. <coughs> Excuse me. And, since I'm coughing, that must mean that there's only one question left because I did the same exact thing last week. Uh, but, but here is our last question, and it comes from Chris Wassel, and he asks, I have to ask, who are your picks for the Frozen Four and Women's Worlds? Well, you may have heard today, uh, earlier, I picked Boston University, or sorry, Quinnipiac, and Minnesota to meet in the national championship game with Minnesota winning that game. And at the Women's World Championship, which began the day that we're recording this, uh, I will take Canada over USA. It pains me to do it as an American, but that is what I will do. It, they've won a lot of the big games lately. Um, and also the U.S., very interestingly, a lot of new faces on that roster, a lot of turnover from the Olympic team in 2018. So you're not seeing some of those same players. That lack of experience is probably why I have a little bit more pause there. Uh, before we get out of here... On the women's hockey note, want to remind you, on Hockey TV on Friday night, you'll be able to watch Annalise Bergman play for the Janesville Jets in the North American Hockey League. She will become the first woman ever to play junior hockey at the Tier 1 or Tier 2 level in the United States. Very excited about that game. Hockey TV, a partner of Flow Hockey, we will be covering that. Uh, Nicole Hazy, who's been a guest of this podcast and has been doing some freelance work for us at Flow, will be covering that game. So make sure you are following along with that. We will have plenty on our Flow platforms as well, including some other stories. But this is a historic moment in U.S. junior hockey. And Annalise Bergman is on the Olympic track for the women's side, but definitely has earned this opportunity to play in junior hockey in the United States. Now, she's heading to Cornell next year where she'll play women's hockey. So this is a one-night-only situation 
You do not want to miss it. Annalise Bergman, a six foot, almost six one goaltender um, who played all season long with boys and has played her entire career with boys um, and has played exceptionally well, is getting her one and only opportunity to play in junior hockey and will make history doing so. So make sure you check out Hockey TV on Friday at 7 or check out on Flow Hockey. We've got plenty more to talk about there, um, and we will be covering that story uh, a lot. And you'll also be able to see some video from her first game on the the Flow social platforms. (coughs) One last cough for the road. So I want to give a special thanks to Brad Schlossman for joining the podcast today. And and I'm really excited to – uh, to to have him, he's such a good friend. Make sure you are reading the, the his work because there's so much there uh, to to follow. So thanks to Brad for coming on. Huge thanks to Amanda for producing today, and also want to say thank you to everyone who asked questions and to you who listen because without you we wouldn't have a show. So thanks very much for that. Don't forget to leave a kind rating and review on the podcast on your app of choice. Check us out on YouTube and Flow Hockey. And definitely, definitely come back next week. We'll recap the Frozen Four, and we'll get back to a lot more 2023 NHL Draft Talk on Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters. So glad you could join us. We'll catch you next time.